Let's pray as we come to read God's word together. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray that we would hear you speak through your living, active word this morning. Uh, we pray, Father, that you drive distractions from our minds, uh, the other concerns of our hearts. We pray that you'd help us to lay them aside, to hear you speak, and not just to be hearers, but doers of your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, James 3.13, who is wise and understanding among you? It's a good question, isn't it? Well, the essays are rolling in, exam period's not that far away, I guess we're going to find out, aren't we? IQ, academic success, Bible knowledge, would that be a good measure of wisdom? Uh, we probably all know people who are incredibly intelligent and yet they don't have any common sense at all. Uh, some of us might have in-laws like that. Uh, and intelligent, some of you I meant. Uh, intelligence may not be the best measure. What is a good measure of wisdom? Is it success? Uh, people who get on in the world, is that a good measure of wisdom? But how do you define success? People who are wealthy, who rise to the top of their chosen profession, who become great and esteemed leaders? That would make Donald Trump among the wisest people in the world, wouldn't it? Is that a measure of wisdom? How do you measure wisdom? And we might substitute success in Christian ministry into that fold. And so we might look for those who've been successful and say, ah, there it is. Well, there it would have to be, wouldn't it, amongst the most scandalous televangelists of history. There it would have to be amongst those of our own heroes who've grown large churches, who've written influential books and who've been shown to be spiritually abusive or bullies or sexually immoral. No success is no matter either. Wisdom in the Bible is a very different thing and James presses us to acknowledge, in fact, that there are two basic forms of wisdom. Earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And these two different kinds of wisdom can be seen clearly because they produce two different outlooks and two different outcomes. And this morning I want to briefly go through this passage with you and see that flowing out of these two different kinds of wisdoms are two outlooks, two outcomes, two friendships, but only one choice. Two outlooks first. The basic outlook that earthly wisdom produces is jealousy, from verse 14. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every evil practice. This is the person who is more interested in winning an argument than telling the truth. They're driven not so much by a desire to be wise themselves, but by a desire to be seen as wiser than the other guy. It's the clever person who takes pleasure in demonstrating their cleverness before others. 
the person who makes you feel small and stupid in comparison to them. The wisdom from heaven produces an entirely different outlook on other people. Instead of jealousy, there's humility, uh, verses 13 of chapter 3 and 6 of chapter 4. Jealousy, envy, selfish ambition means we're always trying to prove our value over other people. Humility is a disposition that values others above ourselves. The contrast in outlook in the way that we see other people couldn't be more dramatic. Are other people obstacles or competition to be overcome or people to be valued, served and loved? We know we're supposed to be humble, don't we? But how can you tell if you really are humble or if humility is just a kind of a thin veneer, a mask that you put on over an otherwise dark heart? How can you tell? I think I've worn humility as a veil or a mask at times. I know the right things to do, the right things to say. Are you like that? that you can do and say the right things but still harbour in your heart that jealousy, that envy, that ambition, that longing for recognition over and above others. As James keeps pointing out throughout this letter though, there are ways that you can tell what's really going on in your heart if you know what to look for in your behaviour. And so here it is that he shows us how the two types of wisdom and the two outlooks on people produce two very different outcomes in life. From verse 17, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest in righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot um, get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures." seems clear that whoever James is writing to in, this, uh, in the first instance here is a church with some fairly significant problems, isn't it? Fights, quarrels, killing, coveting. I'm not sure if the killing was literal, but it's it, quite possible that it was, and even if it wasn't, uh, the point and the urgency remains the same for us today. These things in the life of the church are deadly and they are evidence for James, in fact, that earthly wisdom is at work in this place. Jealousy in the hearts of people instead of humility. Wherever we find disorder and evil practice, in verse 16, or fights and quarrels among people, we can assume that the same thing is happening, that the ugly heart is being exposed. Their heart matters. And it's our heart that needs to be changed. And that's why fights and quarrels among church members, among brothers and sisters, is such a serious matter. Their heart matters. They're an exposure of the darkness of our hearts. 
And it's significant that people James is writing to here are obviously complaining about their prayers not being answered in the middle of that. Did you get that? In the middle of all of this fighting, quarrelling, coveting, they're saying, yeah, but God's not answering our prayers. So James writes, you do not have because you do not ask God. When When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James has already told them right up front at the start of the letter, verse 5 of chapter 1, that they should be asking for wisdom. But because they have not asked for wisdom from God, they have earthly wisdom. Their hearts are full of jealousy instead of humility and so they're asking for things out of wrong motives, selfish motives. And their selfish prayers will not be answered. If they asked God for wisdom, they'd have different hearts, different priorities, different motives, and they would ask for different things and they would receive them. Brothers, I wonder if you feel that your prayers never get past the ceiling, is it worth dwelling on this for a moment? What are our motives as we come before our Heavenly Father in prayer? Why do we ask for the things we ask for? Is it that we perhaps have not taken time to ask God for his wisdom? And because of that, that we're actually asking for the wrong things. And if that's true, and if God is not answering those prayers, what a gracious God he is to not give us the foolish things we're asking for but instead to cause us to have changed hearts. How gracious of him to not give us the wrong that we ask for. Look at the outcomes that uh, come from the wisdom of heaven. It's, It's peace, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I think if Paul was writing this letter, he would have described those things as the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Different versions of uh, of, of the word peace are used three times in two sentences. Peace is is mapped out um, in the attitudes that he lists there, there, the way of peace. And the words he uses have overlapping meanings uh, and different English translations go in quite different directions at this point. Um, But the sense is clear. It's the person whose humility means that they are willing to change, adapt, fit in, listen, be generous, be accepting, be loving. Uh, They're not a doormat because they have a commitment to truth and righteousness and purity but they would rather make peace than make themselves look better. That's the difference. I think it's almost as if all of the bits of knowledge that we have, all of the the bits of knowledge that you own are like clubs in a golf bag and wisdom tells you which one to pull out to play which shot. It's wisdom that tells you how to respond 
in any given situation and whether the, the demonstration of your knowledge is an act of humility that will lead to peace or an act of self-righteousness or self-aggrandisement that will lead to you being seen uh, more favourably in the eyes of others. Heavenly wisdom's relational. It's humble before other people and it's looking for opportunities to create peace rather than conflict. James goes on then to talk about two possible friendships. He's still talking about the same thing. You can either have a friendship with the world or you can have a friendship with God. A friendship with the world is not a new idea, it's another way of describing a person who has earthly wisdom and a jealous heart. He's not saying we shouldn't have non-Christian friends, that you shouldn't love the world, that you shouldn't belong to non-Christian groups or anything like that, that would make it impossible uh, to obey Jesus' command to make disciples of all the world if you separate yourself from the world. He's not saying that, but a person who is a friend of the world aligns themselves with the world, aligns themselves with the world's wisdom, and so lives that way and proves themselves to be an enemy of God's. Did you get the gravity of the end of verse 4 there? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world has proved to be a hater of God's. It's not that choosing to live that way makes you an enemy of God, it's just proof that you already are one. A friendship with God is, is more than just being friends, it's consistently throughout the Old Testament, here in the New, the relationship that God has uh, with his people is described as a marriage and so the jealousy that goes along with that um, is commensurate with the relationship of marriage and whatever the exact scripture that verse 5 is referring to there, the point of it is that God is a jealous lover and he will not tolerate our wandering off to follow other gods or to the world, which is which is adultery, which is adultery committed against him, which is, which is setting ourselves up in enmity against God. So what do you do with all of that? Well, James says you've got a choice to make, but it's a strange kind of choice. Uh, it's a bit like the, the choice that Henry Ford uh, gave people when he produced the, the T-model Ford, and he said you can have one in any colour that you want, as long as that colour's black. Uh, and here we have, you, you can choose this. You can make one choice. The choice is to be wise. The choice is to have heavenly wisdom. And this choice will have an impact on the way that we treat other people and the way that we treat God. So if we are truly wise before other people, we will not slander others. We will not speak against others or judge others because that's springing from jealousy, from envy, from selfish ambition. It's like the, the great water polo game of life. You've, you've watched water polo on TV. Now, from the top, it looks like any other ball sport, right? There's a ball that's throwing. But the underwater camera tells the story of what's actually going on and, and when you see those magic moments where somebody seems to rise up out of the water to make a shot, 
You get the underwater shot and you realise they're just trampling on other people and climbing over the top of them. And that's the great game of life, isn't it? The way you get ahead is you tread other people down. And James says that is not the way of wisdom. So slander, speaking against others, judging them, is showing your envious heart. But it also shows that we're trying to take God's place. We're trying to take his job. He is, James says, the judge and lawgiver. So by setting ourselves up as the judge of another person, I think perhaps more accurately, setting ourselves up to condemn others, we're actually trying to take God's place, to take his job. Well, that's pretty unwise, isn't it? And that's the point. If we're wise before God, what we will in fact do is submit ourselves to him and that will change the way that we relate to others as well. Humility springs out of, first of all, recognising that God is God and I am not. What it means to submit to God spelled out in verses uh, 7 to 10 there of chapter 4. Three things we're told to do and each one comes with a great promise. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's a lot of hype in different um, uh, Christian circles about spiritual battles and the role of the devil and, uh, and the spiritual battle is real and the devil is real. And I think we discount that at our peril. But let's not kid ourselves in, the, in working out what our role is in the midst of all of this. Jesus has fought and won the battle and the devil's been defeated at the cross. So note the promise carefully, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Resist and he will flee. If you feel under attack from the evil, resist and he will flee. That's the end of the lesson on techniques for spiritual warfare. Be confident in the Lord Jesus. Resist the devil and he will flee. The second command and promise, come near to God and he will come near to you. Now, coming near to God is not some special form of meditation or something you especially do in a great crowd when the music's just right. Uh, what it means to come near to God is explained in the next sentence. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Language taken straight out of the Levitical law, but there's no ceremonies involved here now to wash your hands, to deal with your deeds, purify your hearts, to deal with what's going on inside you, your thoughts, your... And that's what the whole letter is, is all about, isn't it? About being single-minded for God. About not being double-minded and having a foot in each camp, but, but living out your faith, which is not something that any of us can do in our own strength, though, but hear the promise. Do you hear the promise? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We do in his strength. Third command and promise, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And so we come back to where we begin with the character of heavy, heavily 
uh, wisdom, which has an outlook of humility, humility that runs against the wisdom of the world, because the wisdom of the world tells us that if you don't promote yourself, no one else will. If you don't look after yourself, no one else will. If you don't press your point, no one else will do it for you. And that's what scares us, isn't it? That's what worries us. That's why we're jealous of others. That's why we harbour selfish ambition, because how else are we ever going to get ahead? How are we going to be recognised? Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Do you hear how precisely opposite that is to the wisdom of the world? And here's an important part of what it means to be Christian, to trust in the Lord Jesus. Are we truly prepared to give up our dependence on self and trust him in this? And here's part of the joy of heaven that we look forward to a day when all of the injustice will be done away with and and all of the wrongs will be righted And we will be with him forever in perfect relationship. And we will be recognised. He will be with us. We will be with him. A life of extreme joy and pleasure. Where never again will you be tempted to lift yourself up in the eyes of anyone. How could you do that when you're around the throne of God? And so the more our minds are captured by that image, the more ridiculous it is to behave today as if I need to lift myself up and make myself seem somehow more impressive in the eyes of others. And here's where the rubber hits the road. Are you and I prepared to do it? Will we live in the humility that God's wisdom brings? Will we work for peace instead of fighting for ourselves? Will we be found to be friends of God's who resist the devil, draw near to him and humble ourselves before him? Because that changes everything. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is extraordinary to us that you know the darkness of our hearts and yet you sent your Son to suffer and die, to wash us clean. Father, we thank you for those who first told us this message. And we thank you, Father, for the opportunity here to sink deeper and deeper into the great truths of the Gospel. And Lord, we pray that they may so thoroughly transform us that our selfish ambition would be driven away by your spirit and that we would instead live in humility before you and before others. Perform this miracle in our hearts, we pray, for the glory of Jesus. Amen.